And then to be so young and, and just plugging in, I just wanted to say how much we appreciate him and uh, apologize for, for my comment. Seem to be doing that a lot lately. And uh, <laughs> praise the Lord. Well, it's so good to see all of you in the house of God tonight. Again, this is the second lesson in the launching of our momentum class that Brother Josh mentioned at the start of this service. And what our momentum class is designed for, really it's designed for new converts, new believers, those that are new to the faith or maybe haven't ever been in church before in their life, maybe those that are freshly filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time, or those that just want to rebuild a Christian foundation in their life. That's who this is designed for. And my plan, my intention was to kind of cherry pick some of those new visitors, those people that are new around Cornerstone, and invite them to come in the coffee shop on Wednesday nights and, and start studying this very foundational Christian material. Uh, but Brother Boone has graciously let us start here in the sanctuary. Next week, those of you that want to continue the class uh, can follow me. We may be in the coffee shop. We may be in Oliver Hall. We haven't Brother Boone says we may be right here. We don't know. Uh, but, but again, that's what this is all about. It's momentum class. We're studying in my father's house Bible study. For those of you that maybe weren't here last week or don't know what it's about, this is one of my favorite Bible studies. There's a lot of good Bible studies out there that teach you about the Bible and the Word of God and teach you about the Lord. Those things are all necessary. But this Bible study is... The only one I've found, anyway, that focuses on you as an individual, and it focuses on your growth, your development as a Christian, your relationships, um, and, and overall development as a believer. So I'll give you an overview of the, the courses or, or the lessons that are in this study. Last week, we did Your New Life in Christ. Tonight, we're going to talk about God's grace. Next week, we'll talk about hiding the word in our heart and then how to pray, and then spiritual warfare, and then knowing God's will for your life, and then Christian character, and then the Christian family, and then your pastor in you. And I always like to mention, we have the best pastor and pastor's wife anywhere in Pentecost. Amen. We absolutely do. And then the last lesson will be gifts of the Spirit. Praise God. So tonight we're talking about God's grace, especially God's grace as it relates to the life of a new believer. And I just want to talk for a second about the Sermon on the Mount as we get started. You know, Jesus talked about a lot of things in the Sermon on the Mount, but something that really sticks out to me as it relates to God's grace and goodness and mercy toward us is he, he really said that grace his grace in your life, it doesn't lower the bar of his expectation for you. It actually raises the bar higher. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, in the Old Testament, I said, if you committed adultery, it was a sin and you were in error. But now in the New Testament, I tell you, if you even look on a woman with lust in your heart, it's like you've committed it already. And now that's wrong. That's raising the bar higher. He said, in the Old Testament, I said that if you hated your brother, or that if you murdered your brother, excuse me, 
you were in error. But I tell you now in the New Testament, if you hate your brother in your heart without a cause, then that's wrong. So the point tonight is that grace, God's grace in your life, it doesn't lower the bar of God's expectations of us, but it actually raises it up a little bit higher. Praise God. Romans 5, 1 through 21, this is a lengthy reading, but if you'd like to stand with me tonight, we'll use this as our scripture reference as we get started. The Bible says, Romans 5, starting in verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Let's deal with this justification idea right now. What is justification for you as a believer? Anybody want to take a stab at justification? What does that even mean? Sounds like a a big word, but here's my explanation of it, of what it means to be justified by your faith. And so I'd ask you the question, was anybody in this room at Calvary? Anybody there 2,000 years ago? None of us were. But our faith takes us there to that moment in time where the blood was shed. And we get to experience that moment through our faith. That's what it means to be justified by faith. So the Bible said we've got access by faith into this grace of God wherein we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. For when we were yet without strength, when we were still lost and undone in our sins, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Moreover, the law entered, everybody say the law. The law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Is anybody in this house thankful tonight that where sin abounded in your life and in your heart, God's grace much more abounded to you? Would you give him praise for just a moment? If you remember what it was like to be lost in sin and shame, but God's grace reached into your heart and into your life and set you free, would you give him praise tonight? Glory to God. Glory to God. You can be seated tonight. In the Old Testament, when we talk about the law, we're talking about hundreds of commands that God gave the Israelites to live up to. The law was God's expectation of his children. The law is found in the first five books of the Bible. We call that the Torah. And it was obedience to the law that God expected of every one of his people. So what was in the law? Well, I'm glad that you asked because I'm going to tell you tonight. The law spelled out 
so many commands for God's people that they were required to live by. It dealt with everything from what they could and could not eat to how they were supposed to conduct themselves in their personal lives and in their professional lives with others. The law even dictated what they could and could not wear and what they should and should not wear. The law was very, very specific. Most of us today would say the law was intrusive into their lives. But those were the rules that every individual was supposed to follow. You could consider it a standard. This is the standard, the law that God expects his redeemed children to follow. Again, he said, I'm the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. I brought you out of your sin. I'm the God that freed you from Egyptian bondage. So I've got some expectations of how you should behave if I'm going to put my name on you. If you're going to represent me, my name's going to be on you, then I've got a few expectations of you. Everybody okay so far? Amen. Let me hear an amen. Everybody okay so far? All right. Now, we're not talking about standards tonight, although we could draw a lot of correlations out of the Old Testament about standards. But what we are focusing on tonight is the consequences of breaking the law, what happens when we break the law. In the Old Testament community, whenever somebody broke the law, we would call that person a transgressor, a transgressor. Whenever someone transgressed the law, it meant that the covenant was broken and the relationship with God was then broken. Let me ask you, have, have you ever messed up in a relationship with somebody? Anybody in this house, am I the only one? You ever said something or done something and you just messed up a relationship, your spouse, your kids, your boss, your job, whatever it is. Somebody's pointing at their wife. I'm going to leave that alone tonight. <laughs> when you mess up in a relationship on earth, it drives a wedge between you, doesn't it? You mess up. You've done somebody wrong. You said something hurtful, whatever. It, it puts a wall. between. It separates you, builds a wall of separation there. And the Bible says that's what sin does. That's what transgression did and still does as it drives this wall of separation. When you, mess, when you mess up in a relationship in life, Thanksgiving dinner doesn't taste the same sitting at the table with them. Amen? That, that is exactly what happens with God when we transgress. We separate ourselves from God. We put that wall, and in order to restore that broken relationship with God, there were sacrifices and there were penalties that, had to, that were necessary. The Bible shows us that God is so holy and he is so pure that he can't just let sin pass by. He can't just ignore sin because of his goodness and his purity and his holiness. He has to deal with sin. So there were different types of sacrifices for different types of sins, but there were no offerings that would truly remove sin forever. The best they could do was, was roll that sin forward a year or so and buy themselves a little bit more time. 
Hebrews 10, 5 through 6, I, I didn't give this to the media department tonight, but the Bible says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. All of those sacrifices and all of those rituals in the Old Testament really didn't matter that much to God. Galatians 3.24, the, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified. Everybody say justified. By faith. Every animal that was slain, every fire that was started on the altar, every drop of blood that was spilled in the Old Testament was all pointing to Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's by grace that we're saved through faith from the penalty of our past sins. That grace of God saves us from the punishment that we deserve. It's that unmerited love of God towards us. We don't really deserve it. We never really deserve that grace, but he gave it to us anyway. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, But God, who's rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace you're saved, and hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. So this whole... This whole discussion about God's grace tonight, it's, it's best illustrated, I think, by a courtroom setting or scenario. We are all sinners on trial. Satan is the prosecuting attorney. The Bible says he's accusing the brethren day and night before the Lord, much like he did with Job. He's, he's a, and you know what's interesting about Satan's accusations? I, I didn't really realize this until recently, but a lot of times those accusations, those condemnations that the devil is constantly throwing at you, especially when you're entering into a season of personal revival or the church is entering into revival, he seems to start to do it more and more often and more frequently and with more fervency. You know what's interesting about those accusations is a lot of times there's truth to them. Whenever Paul, whenever Paul was shipwrecked and he ended up on the island, the Bible says a snake or a viper bit him. And, and those aboriginals or those people that were native to the area saw it and saw that he wasn't hurt. And they said, this guy is a, some kind of a bad man. He's a murderer. He, he's done vile things. There's something wrong with him. And, and those things were actually true about Paul, weren't they? But we're justified by the blood. The things that are true about our past do not stand when it comes in contact with the blood of the Lamb. Your past failures and your past mistakes do not stand when the blood of the Lamb is applied. Somebody clap your hands to God and give Him praise for the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Every one of us Every one of us in this house sits in this chair tonight. 
on trial for our sins. God as the judge before us. Every one of us in this house sits on trial for things that are very legitimate and true. And Satan as the prosecuting attorney points them all out, reminds you of them all the time. Maybe he stands over here in the courtroom of your life and heart and reminds you you've had impure motives before. Look, God, look at your child here. Maybe he reminds you about things you've done like gossip. Nobody here, right? Not at Cornerstone. Reminds you that you've told lies before. Reminds you about your pride and arrogance. Reminds you that you've had lustful and impure thoughts before. He stands the courtroom and accuses you of things that are very true because man really is the lawbreaker. We are the transgressors. Every one of us in this room tonight have dealt with those things and much worse. Somebody said amen. That's the truth of our human nature. 2 Peter 3 and 9, the Bible says, though, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I believe it really is a work of God if you even come to repentance. It was hard for me to see this early on in my walk with God, but your repentance, your tears at an altar, the fact that you even at some point in your life felt compelled to go to an altar and try to talk to God about your heart, that's that's an act of the grace of God because that's not in you and me naturally, is it? It's not in you and me to confess our carnality and our wrong and our impure motives and our lustful thoughts. It's not in us to be that transparent. It really is a work of the grace of God leading us to repentance when we find ourselves in those times of repentance with the Lord. The Bible says in John 14 and 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but but by me. He'd go on to say, No man comes to the Father except my spirit first draws him. The point about grace is that we don't deserve it. We didn't do a single thing to deserve it. In fact, the Bible says all of our righteousness, if we could heap it all together, everybody in this room tonight, all of our goodness and righteousness would be a pile of filthy rags in his sight. So the crime that we've committed is sin. The Bible says, Genesis 2, 16 to 17. This is, again, every one of us, even though we're talking about Adam and Eve. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. The punishment for sin is death because we are in fact guilty. Romans 3, 19 to 20, the Bible says, now when, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law shows us 
what is right and what is wrong. The law reveals to us God's intentions and God's nature and gives us a standard. The Word of God gives us a standard that we can measure ourselves by. Romans 3.23, the Bible says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah 59 and 2, the Bible says, Sin separates us from God. Every single lie that you tell, every single truth that you withhold, every action, every behavior that is unlike God in your life and mine, it builds that wall of separation a little bit higher, doesn't it? And the sentence for our sin is death. Genesis 2.17, the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Ephesians 2.1, the Bible says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Sin brings death. Romans 5.12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Ezekiel 18 and 20, the soul that sinneth it shall die. Now that's every one of us in this house tonight. We all have sin in our lives, and we're all worthy of nothing more than death according to the Bible. Revelation 20 12 to 15, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Here's the judgment. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books according to their works. Everybody say, works matter. According to their works, they were judged. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged. Everybody say judged. Every man according to their works. Everybody say works matter. This and, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I don't know about you, but I want my name written in that book. I want, I want the names of Kara Farhat and Nyeliana Grace Farhat and Cana Rose Farhat and Bethel Quinn Farhat written in that book of life. Do you want the names of yourself and your children written in that book? Is there anything more important in this life even to have your name and your family written in that book? That way when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, he'll find our names in there. He'll find every sin and wrong that we've committed covered by the blood of the Lamb. Somebody give him praise tonight. There's nothing more important in this life than that. Nothing more important than that. The good thing about grace is grace is what provides the ransom for you and me. It's called Christ's substitutionary death. He, he became the Lamb. It would be kind of like the accuser of the brethren standing in the courtroom reminding you of all your sin and wrong, and you know it's all true. And God is getting ready to judge you and hand down the sentence, which you already know is death. We've seen it in Scripture. The wages of sin is death. That's your sentence and mine and what we deserve. But instead of handing down that harsh penalty for you or for your children, 
or for your family. He says, step away from this this, this stand. I'm going to push you out of the way. And I'm going to take that penalty on myself. You get to get up from your seat. You get to walk away free. All of the wrath and penalty that was deserving to you is placed on him. He's the lawgiver and he's the propitiation at the same time. What ought that to do in the heart of a born-again believer? What, what type of gratitude should we live with in our hearts? What, what type of reverence and awe and wonder should we have for God who took our place? Every one of us tonight can think about probably this week, probably today, sins that we've committed, people that we've hurt, things that we've done wrong. And all of that angst and wrath isn't poured out on you when you're standing in God's grace. It's poured out on the flesh of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that that does something in my heart when I think about the carnal nature that I have at times, when I think about the ugliness I have inside of me at times, and I realize that God still loves me in spite of it. In spite of who I am, He still loves me. And He'll still take my place. It makes my heart well up with gratitude. Hallelujah. John 1, 29, the Bible says, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Matthew 20 and 28, he gave his life as a ransom for many. Galatians 4, 4 through 5, the Bible said, He redeemed them under the law, those that were made under the law. Galatians 3, 13, he redeemed us from the curse of the law. Revelation 13 and 8 called him the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. You want to know what real love looks like? It looks like a God that had a plan in place before you ever sinned your first sin, before you ever did your first wrong. God had a plan to redeem you from yourself. Somebody give God praise tonight. That's what true love looks like. And doesn't even hold it against you. Hallelujah. Let your spouse do you wrong. See how long you go without bringing it up again. Let somebody in your family do you wrong. See how long you can go without bringing it up again. God doesn't play that game. God doesn't keep record. He forgives and lets the blood cover your sin and mine. 1 Timothy 2 and 6, he gave himself a ransom for all. Hebrews 2 and 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The point is there's no other way to be saved except by the blood of Jesus Christ. John 15, 13 to 14, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 6, there's one mediator, only one, the man Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19, we're not redeemed with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Acts 20 and 28, 28, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He bought us with his blood. Romans 5, 6 through 8, 
For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commends his love to us again that while we were still sinners, while we were sinners, he made the first move toward you and me. That's true love. True love is the one that initiates first. True love makes the first move even when it's hard. That's what God did for you and me when we didn't deserve it. He reached out and redeemed us. Colossians 2, 13 to 15. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. The point is that God is on our side. Is anybody thankful that God is on your side tonight? First John 2 and 2, he's the propitiation. He is the atonement for our sins. He got down, he came down from glory. The Bible said he made himself of no reputation, took upon the, himself the form of a servant and humbled himself. The God of glory subjected himself to shame and humiliation and being, being abased so that he can endure the cross. The Bible even said despising the shame of it. For the joy that was set before him, which was redeeming you and me. Romans 3 and 26, the Bible says that he might be just and the justifier, which, uh, the justifier of those which believe in Jesus. Isaiah 1, 15 to 20, the, the Bible says, basically, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Romans 11 and 6 the Bible teaches there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. If by grace, then it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Everybody say works matter. Works do matter. That's what it is. Works will not save you and I. It's only the grace of God that saves us. But Paul said, tell me all you want. Tell me all you want about your faith. Tell me all you want about your faith and your mercy and grace, and that's good and right. But I'm going to show you what I've received into my life by my works. So God is looking for fruit in the lives of his children. And that fruit shows outwardly the things that are happening on the inside of us, that we've been justified, that we've received grace, that we've been freed from our sins. Somebody said amen. amen. Romans ten sixteen to 17. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who's believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you are ever in your life down on your faith, if you ever feel like things are spiraling out of control in your world, if you ever feel like you don't know where how to put one foot 
in front of the other in your life. Has anybody ever been there in your life before? If you ever feel that at that point, that level of a depth of a lowness in your life, the Bible gives the remedy for that. It says, faith comes by hearing. When your faith is running low, when it's hard to believe and trust in God, when your faith is almost depleted, the cure for that is to hear more and take in more of the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you want to get strong as a Christian, if you want to get strong as a believer, if you want to be able to pray prayers that you know without a shadow of a doubt God will hear and God will honor, then you need to build up your faith by taking in the Word of God. If you'll take in the Word of God, God will build you up in your faith to the point that you can pull down strongholds. Somebody said amen. You can pull down strongholds in your life and the lives of others because God's given you that strength. You can become stronger and become an overcomer by your faith in God. Romans 8, 1 through 4, we're wrapping up. There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. No condemnation. That means when your flesh or Satan reminds you of the past, shows you all of those things, once again that you did wrong, you don't have to be condemned by it. You don't have to live there anymore. You don't have to walk around in that low place in life anymore because the blood has covered it. Condemnation says something like this, I'm no good. But conviction, on the other hand, says, you know, I know what I've done is not good. But that doesn't have to be who I am. It doesn't have to be a reflection of me when I'm redeemed by the blood. I can be a better person. Condemnation says there's no way that God could ever forgive me for what I've done. But real godly conviction says I know that I've broken God's heart. It's a different attitude. Condemnation to conviction. Condemnation is an attitude that says I know I'm on the highway to hell so I might as well live my life the way I want. I'm condemned already, but godly conviction is something we should all have, amen? Godly conviction is an attitude that says, I want to do what is pleasing to my Father and for my Father above all. That's what I strive for. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. First John 1, 7 through 10, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. It's this attitude, I I want to walk in the light as he is in the light. That's what grace produces in our life. I don't want to hide anything anymore. 
I don't feel like or, or have this desire to hide my sin or my shame anymore like they did in the garden. But I want to walk in the light and draw even closer to it. And it's interesting when we start doing wrong, we want to get in darkness. We don't want people to see us. We want to hide our sin and our shame like Adam and Eve did. They wanted to cover their nakedness because sin brought an awareness to them. It brought that knowledge of good and evil that they didn't have before. That's what sin does in our own life. Revelation 12 and 10, the Bible says Satan's the accuser of the brethren. Kind of cheesy, but when he comes back accusing you, brings that book back of all you've done wrong, all the Lord sees, they're just stained with blood. That's all he sees. Thank God for the blood of the Lamb. Thank God for it. Romans 8, 31 to 34, the Bible says, if if God's for us, if God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 5, 1 through 2, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't we all stand tonight? Before we dismiss, I just want to pray over us one more time. We ought to get a hold of this tonight. The grace of God did not come cheaply into our lives. His grace is not a free gift for us. This grace cost him his own blood. For just a minute, if you'd close your eyes with me tonight, right where you're standing, before we dismiss, if you would, just just close your eyes and picture Calvary for a moment. Think about the cross. Think about the blood. Think about his body that was broken. Think about the shame and the humiliation of the cross. We recognize that he died for the sins of the whole world, but... Tonight, I want us to remember, it's not your brother's sin that he died for. It's it's not your spouse's sin that he died for. It's not their sins that put him on that cross, but it's yours and mine. It's the lies that we've told out of our own mouths. It's our lustful thoughts that put that crown of thorns on his head. It's our pride and our arrogance that made him decide to come down and make himself of no reputation and endure the cross and the shame of it all. And right now in this moment, before we pray, you can be justified. You can revisit Calvary's cross for just a moment tonight and let the blood of the Lamb cover your heart and mind and spirit. Would you just ask him to forgive you tonight? God, anything that's in our heart, every every way that's not like you, Lord, every sin and transgression, God, that we've committed, we repent before you tonight. As a church body, God, we repent before you tonight, Lord. We confess that we're sinners tonight, oh God, and desperately need you, God, more than we could be aware of, more than we could realize, God, we need you so desperately. Lord, if it, was, if it was only me on that, if it was only me in need, oh God, of that mercy, you'd still hang on that cross for me, Lord.
And I'm so thankful for it, oh God. I'm so thankful tonight. If it was only you that God could decide to die for, he would. He would have done it just for you because he loves you that much. Would you lift your hands to the Lord and give him praise tonight? Thank you, Lord, for such a great salvation. Thank you, Lord, for mercy. Thank you, God, for the blood that redeems us. God, that I don't have to live my life remembering my sins, God, remembering my failures, God. I don't have to live there anymore. God, I can stand strong in faith on the word of God. I can stand strong pleading the blood of the Lamb. Oh, God, and when I reach the judgment, Lord, I can plead the blood. I can plead the blood. You pray for your home tonight. Pray for your family tonight. I pray your blood, God, would cover every home. Every home, God, represented in Cornerstone. Every family represented tonight in Cornerstone. Let the blood of the Lamb be applied. Let fresh grace and mercy be poured out from heaven tonight. Oh, let it work a gratitude in our heart towards you, God. Let it make us want to live for you, God, in a deeper way, we pray, Lord, tonight. Remind us about the cost of that blood. You took our place. You took our shame, oh God. We thank you for it tonight. Would you clap your hands to the Lord and give him praise tonight? Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God, praise God. Thank you for being in Bible study tonight. God bless you. We'll see you. See you at early morning prayer if you can make it. See you at church on Sunday. God bless you. You're dismissed.